Welcome back to another edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. Happy Monday, everybody. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering with you. And Rick, we're here to break down what was a beatdown on Saturday at the Cintas Center, the second largest margin of victory for Xavier over Cincinnati at Cintas. The only bigger one was the brawl game in 2011. But Xavier wins by 20, 83 to 63. And uh, I think just to give an overall breakdown of this game, Rick, once Xavier really got their feet under him with about 10 minutes left in the first half, it, it was all Xavier the rest of the way. Uh, Cincinnati was trying to get a little momentum on their side in the first few minutes, but it was never close. Cincinnati was never really in the game. The Bearcats' largest run was 5-0, and uh, it, it was all Xavier all night. Yeah, it was actually kind of a boring game. I understand for Xavier fans, this was probably fun to just dominate your biggest rival like that. But from the standpoint of getting to watch a fun competitive rivalry game, it sucked. Like it was boring. The officiating was pathetic and made it so choppy. Like I just need to get this off my chest. The brawl didn't happen because there were too many touch fouls in that game. The brawl happened because you were letting both sides go directly in front of the other team's bench and talk an insane amount of smack. That's what it was like. Guys were physical and talking smack in that game. They weren't too many touch fouls that let the game get out of hand. That's not going to keep the game from getting out of hand in the future. Quit coming into this game, being too emotional as a ref, calling touch fouls, running into Xavier's huddle and shoving players and then teeing them up because you shoved them and they reacted like those officials were out of control. They, I can't say they were out of their depths or it was too big time of a game for them because unfortunately, they're the types of guys that usually do big games in college basketball, but that was really an abomination. It was funny watching the DePaul and Louisville game on Friday night. I was had some uh, some friends from Xavier in town. We were all sitting there watching the DePaul Louisville game, and I saw Brian O'Connell was on the game. I looked at all of them. I said, "There's a 100 percent chance he is at Cintas tomorrow." And uh, yes, it was just you could tell right away I mean, for the first two minutes of the game from all the whistles they were blowing that that was exactly how they intended to call the game. And for the first few minutes, it took forever. There was no flow. It was choppy. They just wanted to be in control of the game. And it was a ref show from the very beginning, regardless of how Xavier was going to do on the court, regardless of how Cincinnati was going to do on the court, the game was going to be dominated by the whistle. And it wasn't one-sided really. I mean, Xavier shot all those free throws, but early on there were touch fouls going both ways. I mean, I heard the crowd boo one time on a foul against UC when it was just like a touch foul from behind after a rebound that impacted nothing 80 feet away from the basket. Even Xavier fans were going like, let us just play two possessions consecutively without a stoppage. Yeah. That's what we'd like to see tonight. But anyway, let's talk about Xavier's play because they did look really good. And you've got to start with Jack Nunji. He's been one of this team's top players clearly since he got going and kind of got up to speed with his recovery with his knee. This game, though, he was the best player on the floor. He completely dominated. He also showed inside-outside game. He went outside, hit a pair of threes. He was two for four from beyond the arc in this one. I guess my biggest surprise about this game was I thought Jack Nunji was the best big man coming in, but I also thought that was UC's strength. I thought they had some depth, and I thought they had some big guys that could make it tough to score around the rim and would play physical underneath. That wasn't the case. Their big guys were soft and Jack embarrassed them. So that was the biggest surprise for me. It's funny you say that I was standing. So when I MC the games, I stand right underneath the basket uh, next to the student section. 
And the whole time that Xavier was down on that end, everything I just kept commenting to my guys standing around me was it just right in front of us. It just felt like Xavier was completely bullying them, whether it was in the first half where they were scoring down low and bullying them because they were getting to the basket or in the second half. There were times in the second half where guys from UC would get pushed like out of bounds. They were getting boxed out so hard and they were just getting completely uh, destroyed really is the only way to say it on underneath the basket. And Jack was obviously a huge reason for that 31 and 15. And he went out there and, and he, like you said, he stretched the defense, able to hit a three, a couple of threes and the end one three too. And, it, and those were the kinds of moments where the crowd really got into it. It was great. And to see yet again, a transfer, you know, for Xavier to come in in a game like this and, and make that kind of an impact and a performance Nunji had MVP chance. He had Nunji chance the whole night. You could see he tweeted after the game in all caps how excited he was. That's the kind of game for a guy like him where this might not be who he probably won't stick around, right? All his entire eligibility, but technically he is eligible to do this again in two years. So this is the kind of game for him where you remember what this was like, what this felt like, and you take that into next year. And Xavier can now, after winning three in a row for the first time ever, win four in a row against Cincinnati. You talked about the bullying side of this game and that, you know, going along with Nunji dominating their big man being a surprise. That was the other thing with UC was their only chance of winning this game was to be the tougher team, was to just muck it up and play really, really well on the defensive end. There was none of that from them. Xavier from the tip was by far the tougher team. They bullied them inside. They bullied them on the glass. I thought Scruggs and, and Jones and even Johnson on the perimeter set the tone early with how physical they were and how they were getting after it defensively on the perimeter. There was just never a point where UC looked like the aggressor or looked like the tougher team. And to that part was a little shocking to me because I thought Wes Miller had kind of instilled that in his group, that this is who they are. They are just going to fight and scrap and claw and they're the little engine that could, and they love that underdog role. And they're going to come in and, and smack somebody in the mouth and at least make it ugly for the first 10 minutes to give themselves a chance. And Xavier looked more like that team. Plus they were more talented. Plus they had the better offensive firepower. Like there was just nothing that really wasn't in Xavier's favor that game. And that's despite Xavier not shooting well from the outside. That's despite Nate Johnson having an off night. That's despite Zach Fremantle not looking like Zach Fremantle, still looking like he has a lot of rust on him. Like there were some things that went UC's way, but it didn't really matter for how the game played out. Yeah. And you look at Colby Jones, right? In the first half, you mentioned that a little bit. Colby plays less than two minutes in the first half. It was a non-factor because going back to the officiating picks up two quick fouls. He played less than two minutes in the first half, and Xavier outscored UC by 15 points. When when we did our podcast on Friday and we said, what's the avenue for UC to win this game? You said, Rick, UC needs to have things break their way in their favor that they can take advantage of. Yeah, several things. Yeah, (laughs) Colby Jones not playing more than two minutes in the first half on paper is a huge box that they check there that says that is something in our favor and they got blown out. No, that's a really good point. I I didn't even mention that when I was going through the things that went against Xavier, because quite honestly, Kunkel came in and did a really good job for X. I thought that was, 
a huge point of this game is Colby goes out and everyone's kind of looking like, oh, okay, that's exactly what UC needed. There's the door open. If Fremantle's not playing well and Colby's not in for the first half, had Conklin not come in and played as well as he did, I don't know if Xavier could have left Colby on the bench for the entire first half with two fouls. I think you would have had to bring him back at some point just because he's the guy that can get you going. He's at times been your best player so far this year, but Kunkel came in and played really well, not just hitting threes, but I even think off the dribble, he was attacking them. He was getting to the rim. He was making some plays within their defense, even though they didn't always result in assist. He was getting the ball moving and maybe it was one or two more passes before it found someone and they were able to score. But yeah, I thought Kunkel played a really big role in this game. And I was looking back through his stats and the game by game stuff and seeing where he's had his big games. And it wasn't quite as I remembered. I was starting to think, has Kunkel played really well in all the big games? And it wasn't quite that, but I do think there's something about him. He's kind of a big game guy. It feels like he gets up for the big stage type games a little bit more and tends to play well in those. And, and I thought a great point that you made in your takeaways article was that he was very decisive with the basketball. When he got the ball, he was making a move, whether it was coming around a screen, driving to the basket, trying to finish, trying to kick it out. He wasn't hesitating. He knew when he got the ball, he was going to step back and shoot. And he had a great look at the end in the, I think it was in the last four minutes, of the first half on the wing, a step back three. I mean, every time he got the ball, he wasn't overwhelmed. He wasn't getting the ball and looking around, wondering where he had to pass it. He was very decisive with the basketball. And that led to UC kind of being, I thought at points when he had it caught off guard, he was blown by his defender. And uh, his his big first half was a huge reason. Xavier was able to outscore him 42 to 27, 42 to 27 in the first half. And Xavier just ran away in those last 10 minutes after UC had a couple of buckets in the first few minutes. But yeah, I mean, and, and not only Colby, it, Nate, Nate finished the game one for eight from the field. So you have a couple of huge, huge things that Xavier has relied on this year in the production of Colby Jones and the shot of Nate Johnson, neither one of them were really there in the first half at all, much less, you know, in the whole game, Nate finished with just three points. Colby uh, ended up getting a few in the second half. He had eight, but Xavier still wins by 20 points. Talking about the guards off the bench with Kunkel coming in and playing so many minutes in that first half. And Dwan Odom played 16 minutes in this game. Didn't do a ton. He had five points. He was one for three from the field with three rebounds, but he had four assists. And the big thing here is only one turnover. Conkle goes 26 minutes, zero turnovers. Odom goes 16 minutes, one turnover. You look to Paul Scruggs, who played 33 minutes, only one turnover. We talked about it many times before the game. If UC was going to win, they needed to force turnovers, which was something Xavier had been prone to doing. And they needed to convert those into transition points on offense because they just don't have enough skill to keep up with Xavier in terms of scoring. Xavier never gave them that chance. They go three turnovers in the entire second half. They have nine for the game. You're not going, no one's going to beat Xavier if they only turn the ball over nine times a game. They'll be a top five team in the country. And, and UC only had 10 points off those turnovers and UC had 11 turnovers. Xavier has 13 points off them. So it, it seemed like every little box that Xavier was trying to check, especially in taking care of the basketball. That, that's a huge reason because if those guys go out and Xavier's not taking care of the basketball, maybe it's a different game. But with those guys out in the way that Xavier valued each possession, it was huge. And I wrote this in my takeaways too, that I thought Travis Steele had a really good game here. And it started with one, putting Kunkel in and leaving him out there and not deciding to bring Colby back in because you saw Kunkel was playing well. 
they left him in and he rewarded them by, by playing a really good first half. But the other thing was he went to a zone, a two, three zone earlier in the first half. If you go back to the Oklahoma state game, which is the other game that they used that two, three zone in, he talked about, yeah, we were saving it until the second half. We wanted to kind of spring it on them and and not give them a, a chance to adjust to it. And it ended up winning the game for Xavier in the second half. They went on a big run. In this one, they pulled it out earlier in the first half, and I kind of asked Travis about the strategy there, like why earlier in this game versus waiting till after halftime against Oklahoma State. And a big reason that he pointed to was once I saw how the game was getting called, Colby gets two fouls early like that, and they're calling a lot of touch fouls. Putting us in that 2-3 zone protects some of those guys from picking up more fouls, especially a guy like Jack Nungy, who was dominating the game. You can keep him by the paint, not have him out on the perimeter defending guys like that, and it puts you in a really good spot to keep him on the floor all game. He only goes for two fouls and really no one in Xavier ended up in foul trouble except for Zach Fremantle because of his technicals. So I thought that worked out really well. And it also, after that, they went to the zone early, they switched back to man and then they'd bring back the zone, but they'd also two, two, one press with it. They got a 10 second call doing that because they surprised you see with it. I thought Travis did a really good job of keeping them off balance. They were already struggling to find anything that was working for them offensively. And just when they'd get a basket or two or they'd find an action that that got them something, then all of a sudden Xavier's in a zone the next time down the floor and they're throwing the ball to Odio Guama in the middle of that zone, which <laughs> what is he going to do with that? You know, like UC looked like they had never faced a 2-3 zone defense in this game and they had played a 2-3 zone, I think, in each of the last three games. Like Bryant played mostly a 2-3 zone against them last game. And Wes Miller in his press conference, about a 10-minute press conference after the game, and he spent like nine and a half minutes of the 10 minutes, just completely. You took all ownership of the game and he kept saying, Hey, we weren't prepared. We, I could have, should have done a better job. We weren't prepared for the zone. It looked like we'd never seen it. What all those things over and over and over. At one point I was like, all right, Wes, you know, all right. Your your team also sucks. Like, let's be clear about that. You guys (laughs) can't shoot for anything, but yeah, you know, you were, you were at fault as well. Yeah. (laughs) After, after a few minutes, I was like, Geez, Wes, give yourself a little bit of a break here. Man, it just he just seemed so dejected and, and down on it. And and to Julius sitting there next to him, it just it was kind of awkward. It was, <laughs> it was with, it, with the Julius next to him and him just constantly saying, like, you know, it's not the player's fault. I, I didn't have him. And he's right. I mean, his players did not look prepared for this game. They looked like they had never seen his own defense. They didn't have anything to run on offense. But I also know we've seen it at times with Xavier teams in the past. When you run up against a team that's much better than you and you don't have options on offense, you don't have guys that are making shots. Sometimes it looks like you don't know what you're doing and you can't run anything. And I think that's part of why UC looked so bad and looked so lost on offense. But I'll also say that is Wes's job. Like he's going to have to figure something else out because the offense they were trying against Xavier in this game, that's not going to get it done. That's not going to get them in a top five finish in the AAC. Before we come back to a couple of things I want to ask about Travis, um, you did mention the Fremantle text. I was blocked by the basket and I didn't see it. Can you, for those who maybe missed it or, or didn't catch the whole thing, what happened with the Fremantle tech and the, whole the first one strum? ever on the bench, right? Yeah. No, I'm talking about the one that got him ejected. Oh, I think uh, he just, there was a block shot and he just kind of like stared the guy down and, you know, oh, then maybe- Zach. yeah, the second one was warranted. I thought it was, you know, it wasn't a big deal, but I think he was just kind of staring him down. And was it, was it the first one that was the Odom push? Yes. I believe that was the first one at the end of the first half. And then he got ejected okay. for the block in the second half down at the other end. Oh, okay. okay. But yeah, the first, uh, the first technical was really strange. 
And we're sitting so far away now up in that sort of concourse area that I don't know what was being said. I don't know exactly what happened. But from what I saw, Xavier called a timeout. They got awarded the timeout. So they start coming out on the floor. I don't know if the official didn't know who came in and run in, if he didn't know that Xavier had a timeout. So he thought Xavier was like coming out to, to fight or if he just heard some talking between players or something and thought it was going to escalate, but he sprinted into Xavier's huddle. He shoves Dwan Odom like back who, who was doing nothing. He was slowly walking out on the court. My eyes were on Dwan Odom and coach Steele. So I saw the Dwan thing and Dwan gets shoved back and immediately is like, what is going on? He's got his hands up and he's staring at the ref. Like, why did you just push me like that? And then the ref immediately goes to Zach and like grabs him. He didn't really push Zach as much. He just kind of held him. And I guess at that point, from what I understand, Zach said, you don't touch me, get your hands off of me. And that's what he got teed up for, which I don't understand that at all, because why are refs touching players? Like if I'm a player, I would say the same thing. Get your hands off of me. I mean, tell me whatever you want, but like, you don't get to come in and put your hands on me like that, especially in an aggressive manner, the way this ref did. The players were not fighting. There was not much trash talk going on in this game. This game wasn't in danger of getting out of hand. These refs had too much emotions and they were overhyped and they created that entire situation, quite honestly. I, I've never seen something that aggressive from an official unless they were uh, getting called an by Mick Cronin, like Teddy Valentine a couple years ago. Yeah, and so now you look at, like the second half, there were double texts in the second half and it was just all over the place. And I just, it just never felt, it felt like the officials wanted to have the game under control, but by trying too hard to have it under control, they almost lost escalated control. it. Yeah. The, the double tech one, I was fine with like, that's the exact situation where you worry about it getting out of control. Guys get a black shot. They're underneath the rim. They're like staring each other down a little bit and talking. That's the one where I'm like, okay, yeah. Call that the technical and let it go. The touch fouls throughout the game that kills the flow and does nothing, that's not keeping the game under control. And running into Xavier's huddle and shoving Dwan Odom, who's casually walking onto the floor to get into the huddle for the timeout, that's not keeping the game under control. I don't understand what was going on with some of that stuff, but that's uh, just officials for you. They've, they've got a big ego themselves. You don't get into that profession unless you got a big ego and you want to be seen. So it's kind of like doing what we, we're doing. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just got to realize that's who the people are. Yeah, well, I just wanted to make sure I asked about that because I did not see the whole th By the time I realized what was going on from behind the basket and moved away to see it, it was pretty much all kind of ending. So, uh, yeah, it was just just a bizarre kind of situation there for, for that all to, to go down and happen. Uh, but to go back to Travis and one thing that I, I think maybe deserves a, a minute or two here, a thread on the message board was talking about the starting lineups. Jack obviously playing starting minutes now, but Jerome Hunter still in the starting lineup, Deontay Miles still in the starting lineup, Zach Fremantle still working his way back from an injury, but playing a lot of minutes kind of looks like uh, the, the Zach we have come to know. Rick, how much longer do you think they're going to stick with this lineup or, or how do you see this? And I know we always talk about, you know, it's not the starting lineup that matters, but to a certain extent, the rotations that happen off the starting lineup are where you can see some of that evolution maybe in the next few weeks. Where do you see Fremantle or Nunji slotting into that, or, or how do you see the evolution of this lineup going forward? Well, I mean, Fremantle and Nunji are the starters. They are the four and the five of the starters. That's what I've said since the beginning of the season it was going to be. That's still what I think it's going to be, but they already are. I mean, they're playing the yeah. starter minutes. They're not the guys who tip the game off, but they are the guys who are 
the main lineup, if you will. Well, if we can't use starters because they don't actually start the game, they're the main rotation or main lineup. I know people are really mad at me on the board. I don't make the decisions for Travis Steele. Starting lineups aren't that important to me. I'm also on the record as saying my starting lineup prior to Fremantle getting back to who Fremantle's going to be. And I, I don't think he's quite there yet just because he had 24 points in the Ball State game. But assuming Fremantle is not your best player at the moment, my starting lineup would be some combination of the four guards and wings with Colby Jones playing the four. So probably Odom, Scruggs, Johnson, Jones, and Nunji would be my starting lineup. Yes, I would have Jack Nunji in my starting lineup. I don't disagree with any of you on that, but I'll also say I don't care if he doesn't play the first two minutes of the game as long as he plays 30 plus. He can't play all 40. <laughs> He's not ever going to play all 40 minutes. So do you care if he comes in or comes out of the game two minutes in and Deontay comes in for the next two minutes and then he goes back out and Jack continues to play the rest of the way? I don't know if that matters to me. Like I care who plays the most minutes, who plays the most important minutes, and who finishes the game on the court. So that's my whole point on when people say, Starting lineups don't matter. That's why I, I kind of feel that way is because that's what it is. But at the same time, I would start Jack Nungy. Yes, I would start Colby Jones at the four probably if it was me right now. And if not, then I would have Zach Freeman out at the four and Jack Nungy at the five. I think that's your best lineup. But also there are other things to consider. Uh, in the past, I know, and I don't know this is the situation for Jack Nungy because he hasn't gotten in a lot of foul trouble, but there were times in the past where Xavier has not started their best center because they were foul prone and they came out with a lot of energy before the tip off. And Chris Mack at the time, I can't even remember who, who they did it with. Maybe it was Tyreek early in his career, but they felt like if he's in there for those first two minutes, there's a decent chance that he's going to pick up a foul in those first two minutes. So let's try to delay that process and hope he comes <laughs> off the bench with a little less uh, emotion and fire. There's also the idea that with Jack, you're going to play through him in the post more. Now, if they're bringing him so early into the game, I'm not sure if I'm buying any of this right now. Uh, I, I tend to think maybe it's a little more about keeping Deontay Miles feeling like he's part of the team and he's getting some minutes, keep his confidence up and, and maybe – make him realize that he has a future with this program and not think he needs to leave and go elsewhere because he's not getting as many minutes. But if you're playing through Jack Nungy in the post and you are going to sub at the first rotation, maybe take a Scruggs out of the game or a Colby Jones out of the game or something like that, maybe you want a guy you can play through a little bit more in the post. So you have another option. You're staggering some of your better players and the guys that you're running your offense through. That's another reason that you might not start your quote unquote best five. So there are some strategy reasons for why you might not do that. I don't think that's the case here. I think it's more about trying to keep Deontay involved and try to get the most out of him because that's the other thing. What if Jack Nunji does get in foul trouble? What if he goes down with an injury? He's had a lot of injuries in his career. What if Zach has something happen with his foot again? You just don't want Deontay to play until that happens. And now he's just going to come back in and be effective. That's probably not the case. So I think it makes sense to keep Deontay involved and keep him as a contributing member of this team. And, and quite honestly, I think the first few minutes of the game are probably the best way to do that. Now, I get it. People are talking about, hey, Xavier's up by 15 at the half against their biggest rival. Start the second half with your best five and make sure you put them away. Don't give them that opportunity to make a little comeback. That's fair, too. I get that side of it. I'm not saying all you guys are idiots and have no points. I'm just <laughs> saying it's not a big deal to me. Like, I don't think the coaching staff has no idea what they're doing just because they're not starting Jack Nungy. Sure. Sure. Um, so one other, one other note we got to talk about here, Paul Scruggs becomes the 
uh, first Xavier player ever to beat UC four times, ends his career four and one uh, against Cincinnati and had a pretty good game. He had ended up with 14 points. I thought it kind of a quiet 14 points. It was a really but, quiet game from him, I thought. But efficient um, at, at times when he when he kind of got in into his rhythm. But yeah, it was just a, a quiet game, 14 points, uh, finished four for five from the free throw line, didn't make a three, but still leaves to a standing ovation and will be remembered as the first Xavier player to beat Cincinnati four times. And you could tell the emotion that he was playing with and, and what he felt like in that game, which, which was really cool to see him do that at home. I thought the him and Jack coming off the floor and getting the hugs from Travis Steele were pretty cool because you could tell the relationship between those guys and how much they care for each other. And that was a cool moment. And then Paul goes, it gets the hug from uh, Danny Peters. And I can't remember who was next. It might've been Jonas or it might've been Dante, but either way, when he got to Dante, he then exposed his chest, opened up his arms and Dante did the zip up for him, which was just amazing. I thought that was hilarious. I thought Paul played a really good game and it also showed some maturity and a little bit of a change from him. Cause I think in years past, he might've forced the issue a little bit more and wanted it to be, this is my game. This is my final shootout. He was really good about sharing the ball, keeping it moving and letting Jack Nunji dominate this game, especially in the first half. I thought he came out, he set the tone defensively. He was awesome on defense. And again, he goes, five assists, one turnover. That's what you need out of Paul Scruggs. If Paul Scruggs plays like that, he doesn't need to average 14 or 15 a game this year. He can average eight to 10 and you'll be just fine because you have enough firepower around him. If he plays excellent defense, if he plays in a, in a manner where he's sharing the ball, he's not over dribbling a little bit too much and getting the, the double team that comes down. He uses that spin move. He sometimes gets swiped on or he takes bad fadeaway, you know, one footed jumpers. If he plays smart, like he did in this game and is really efficient, I think Xavier will be at their best all season long. I thought it was a really good sign to see him have a quote unquote quiet 14 point game in the crosstown shootout and not look like he felt like he needed to take it over and do too much. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And the way that, that Paul just kind of, he facilitated the game. I thought really well, he just was, he didn't have to dominate the game, but you could tell that if Xavier needed somebody he was there to, to kind of be in control of the game and he just let the, the flow of the game play itself out place 33 minutes, which was the most of any player uh, in the entire game. He was the only player in the game that played over 30 minutes for either team. Uh, so it's not like he wasn't out there and didn't have a chance to score 40 points. He just let the game kind of come to him and he found the guys that he needed to. Be the emotional leader, be the energy leader, be the guy who sets the tone with your team's toughness because he can do all those things without having to be the scoring leader or the shots leader. And that's who he was. And that's when I think Xavier will be at their best. And Xavier was at 1.3 points per possession in this game. Uh, just the scoring, even outside of Paul and, and everybody else, the scoring was very efficient uh, for Xavier. Just the, the way the looks they were getting and, you know, talk about Paul and, and his assists. He led Xavier with his five assists, but Xavier assisted on 16 of their uh, 25 made field goals. So you look at how they were sharing the basketball and how they scored, and it just it came easily to them. Yeah, well, and, and when you score 28 points at the free throw line and shoot 80 percent from the charity stripe, you are going to be pretty efficient. And that that was the case for Xavier. Yeah, it was a complete domination in the paint, which that part of the game I didn't necessarily see coming to the level that it happened. I thought UC would be much more competitive with their 
depth inside and it just didn't happen. I will say one guy I'm excited to watch going forward in the crosstown shootout from a UC side is Victor Locken. I think he is talented. I think he's going to be pretty darn good. And he is also an emotional case built for causing problems in the shootout, getting teed up, getting into it with other players. He was very emotional throughout this game. I'm excited to watch what he brings to later shootouts, assuming he stays in a UC uniform. So before we get in here to looking ahead, Xavier obviously starting Big East play this week. So this is going to be a pretty big week for Xavier after the bye game against Moorhead State on Wednesday. But anything else that you had, Rick, here about the shootout or or how Saturday night went at Cintas? No, not really. I mean, I I think it was just a case where UC was so overmatched that it's hard to take a lot away from that game, quite honestly. I know that feels crazy to say about the Crosstown shootout, but it was total domination. I don't think it was like UC played a game that was way below their level and Xavier played a game that was way above their level. I wrote, actually, I'm I'm curious to get your opinion on this. I, I wrote this in my takeaways article. I think if these two teams played 10 times, it would have to be a total fluke for UC to win one of them. I don't think they could beat Xavier at all this year based on what we saw in that game. What what was your takeaway on that? How many times would UC win if these two teams played 10 times? I, I don't think with the way that the game played out on Saturday where you have Kobe not playing barely at all in the first half, you have Nate Johnson. You figure if Xavier plays 10 times against this team, Nate Johnson's not going to make one shot against them in every game. You, eventually, he's going to start to make shots. And so if that starts to happen, UC's not going to win. Jack Nunji is going to continue to play like that in every game against UC if they play 10 times because there was UC showed no ability to be able to stop it. Maybe if it's like 10 consecutive times, they could figure out how to work against a zone. But all things being equal, UC showed no ability in that game to, to really like dominate one area that Xavier was weak in. They, there were areas that Xavier was weak in, but UC didn't like really they, take advantage of it. Yeah, they couldn't exploit it. And that's what I saw, too, is like, what happens the next game when Colby Jones has a double-double? Because that will happen in this matchup if these two teams played a bunch. Like, Colby and, and how n- not physical UC was, Colby will get 10 rebounds against them if he plays a full game. I can almost guarantee that. So there are a lot of things that could still go well for Xavier that would make this a blowout again or maybe even a bigger blowout the next time. I look at UC and I'm saying, okay, I mean, they go seven for 22 from three, which honestly isn't even a bad performance from them shooting wise, but okay, maybe next time they throw in 10 of 22 from three, but you're still coming up well short. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not making yeah. the game a whole lot closer. So yeah, I just don't really see they, they only turned the ball over 11 times. It wasn't like they were just a bunch of unforced turnovers on UC's side. I don't know how they get to a point where they really beat the savior team. The talent differential was so great and yeah you know, i j- joke going back to the andy Furman thing and uh, who's kilpatrick but it's like really if you do that exercise with this xavier team and this uc team how many xavier players do you have to go through before you find a place where uc's best player can find minutes I and mean, it's probably david de julius after watch yeah. i don't think jeremiah davenport's their best player i would say david de julius is so where does he fit in in xavier's rotation he's not better than duan odom i don't think I don't think he would be your backup point guard. Maybe you can make that case that he'd be a backup point guard or he he could get some of Kunkel's or Nate Johnson's minutes, but I don't know. He might be your fifth guard. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it might be your ninth or 10th man off the bench in that case. And like, that's being real. I, I, I'm not trying to take shots at UC. That's 
just the state that Wes Miller's roster is in right now. And in some respects, I feel bad for Wes Miller because of that. But yeah, I, I just, I think that's crazy to look at this rivalry and think, I don't know if UC could beat Xavier once out of 10 times this year. I have never thought that about these two teams. And there was a lot of discussion about Wes Miller after this game being the first shootout, all that. And there was a lot of optimism about Cincinnati in the first few weeks of the season. I tweeted about it. I was talking about it, you know, when they beat Illinois and then they, they bring Arkansas right down to the wire, but then you come home and you lose to Monmouth. And I don't think it's necessarily some big indictment on Wes Miller here or anything like that. Like, sure. They weren't maybe the best prepared, but even if you see had figured out how to navigate the zone, how much is that really swinging the game in Cincinnati's favor in a 20 point swing? I'm not saying it can't swing the game in their favor, but Xavier at one point in this game, Rick was up 27 points. Yeah. They ended up winning by 20, but this could have easily been a 30 point win for Xavier. And, oh, yeah. and so when you look at Wes Miller and how he's going to handle his teams moving forward, I think there, if you're a, a UC fan, there are reasons to be optimistic with Wes Miller and him being the guy at Cincinnati. He just doesn't have the talent right now to work with it to even have a shot in this game. Yeah, it's just a total incomplete right now. You know, it's like trying to judge Travis Steele after his first year. Now, Steele had more talent than Wes Miller did, certainly. But it makes no sense to judge any coach in their first year, in this case with Wes Miller, where he just has no offensive talent. It doesn't make any sense to judge him. On the same side, you shouldn't be convinced that Wes Miller is the next John Wooden after what you've seen so far. There's nothing that suggests that either. I mean, the Illinois win was great. That fooled us all early in the season thinking, oh, wow, Wes Miller really has this thing rolling early and, and he's doing a great job. Uh, it's not quite the case. He just doesn't have any talent right now, and he's going to have to reshape this roster in the offseason before we're really going to get a good idea of what he is as a coach. Yeah, and one last little note from the press conference. Travis was up there in his press conference, always gives his opening statement before taking questions. And I don't know if you caught it or maybe I just was misinterpreting it. But, of course, you got to talk about Moorhead State coming up this week. But Travis gives his, his opening statement, and then right at the very end, he's like, you know, we got a lot of bigger goals going on. Obviously, this was a great game, a lot of intensity. Uh, but we got bigger things to look forward to this season, and that starts with, Morehead State <laughs> on Wednesday. <laughs> I kind of felt like there's a, maybe a little bit of a chuckle around the room where you're talking about the biggest game in the city and then you close the opening state with Morehead State. And that's not a knock on Travis because you have to do that. That's as a coach, yeah. you have to do that. And, and it's totally understandable. It just was it just kind of sounded a little funny. I think it's more like what we do, you know, where you're just talking so much and you're saying things that you're getting ahead of yourself and you're wanting to say, oh, yeah, we got the Big East season to play for that's that's our bigger goal overall and then you remember that oh yeah i have to mention morehead state on wednesday because i'm a coach and it's next game mentality and don't overlook <laughs> anyone so now you have to say that and you combine the two comments together and you sound kind of dumb but i mean we we can understand that we do that all the time oh, on this yeah. podcast so i think that's what it was but i also found that funny when he goes we've got bigger things to look forward to like morehead state <laughs> morehead state i thought it was a great i thought it was great i thought it was yeah. great no that was um good. well xavier does have morehead state on Wednesday, Moorhead State, decidedly not the best basketball team in America. Uh, they don't defend very well. Um, they shoot free throws not very well. Offensively, they can make a few threes. Uh, but this is a team that Xavier should handle very easily. Uh, they do 
I will say after Xavier, Rick, they do play the fight in Alice Lloyd's. But Alice Lloyd will give them a run for their money. I just watched them uh, yesterday. They've got some yeah. uh, good six, four centers. <laughs> so that's Moorhead State uh, on Wednesday. Rick, do you have anything about Moorhead State before we get into Marquette? I don't. I don't care at all about that game. I'm bummed that I'll have to be there and watching it in person after just seeing a boring <laughs> crosstown shootout. I just want one decent game at the Centos Center this year, like one fun game to watch because I, I kept getting conflicts with NKU games early, and uh, then I get the shootout. I'm all excited for it, and we get the most boring shootout in the history of crosstown shootouts, I think. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, here we are. Let's talk some Big East, though, because I think the Big East yep. is shaping up to be a really fun and interesting conference. Give me how you would shake it down at the top in terms of that tier. You've got Villanova, UConn, Xavier, Seton Hall, and maybe Providence if you want to include them. How do you think those teams separate? Would you separate those into tiers? Do you think they're all one big tier? Where are you at with these top four or five? You know, I don't know, because if you look at how Villanova played yesterday, now, granted, Baylor's right now the best team in the country but i don't think this is some special sit on a throne type of villanova team now i would like to be optimistic and say that xavier's going to give them a run for their money next tuesday like i said in the preseason podcast at villanova but xavier's always had trouble at villanova and we'll talk about more about that on monday but i don't think this is some villanova team that is just untouchable i i, I don't think this is you know, a, a 2018 type Villanova team right now, they're the highest ranked and probably the best team in the big East, but you have Seton hall right there. You have UConn, which has struggled at points so far this year. Then in, in the AP poll, you take it for whatever it's worth. Villanova, Seton hall, UConn, Xavier, all ranked. And then Providence and Creighton got some votes today. This is a very, very good big East conference right now, which has gotten a lot of national publicity in the last few days. And, for my money might be the best conference in the country right now with some of the resume building wins that they've gotten. Villanova did lay an egg yesterday against Baylor, but I really like what I've seen out of Seton Hall. I think Seton Hall is really, really good. And what they did yesterday to uh, Rutgers, they blew Rutgers out yesterday and they were favored by, I think it was nine. They win by 14. Rutgers just beats the number one team in the country. Granted, it was a home. Seton Hall wins that game without Obiagu. So I really like what Kevin Willard has done this year with Seton Hall. I think they're really good. I don't know if they're going to win the Big East, but Xavier, Seton Hall, Nova, UConn, they're there at the top. But I don't know if I would separate it into tiers right now with the way everybody's bunching together. And I'm not sure I would separate Villanova as a clear favorite above all the rest either, Rick. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. The Villanova takes are getting a little out of hand on the message board, I would say. People are starting to think Villanova's not very good because they've lost at UCLA in overtime, yeah. a neutral site to Purdue, and at Baylor. Those are three of the top 10 teams in the country for sure, if not even better than that. So I, I'll be a little and hesitant did, and to they just say Villanova's not any good or anything like that. And, and Villanova did pretty decisively beat a really good Tennessee team. Yeah, smacked them. So it held yeah. them to 53 points. So Villanova has some deficiencies, the glaring one being their lack of depth in the post and their overall lack of size, which everyone knew coming into the season. We knew that about them, but they're still really good offensively and they've played a tough schedule. Granted, they have three losses, which is as much as anyone not named Georgetown in this conference, but you got to take that with a grain of salt, given who the three losses came to and the fact that none of them were at home. I would put Villanova 
in a in a tier of their own, but only slightly. Like that tier isn't far away from tier two. And then that tier two has UConn Xavier and Seton Hall. I'm not sold on Providence being in that second tier at this point. They've still got to prove it to me. They're off to a 10 and one start. Uh, but I, I think their best win right now is probably at Wisconsin. They also beat Texas Tech at home, but I don't think Wisconsin's very good. It's a great win to get on your resume, obviously. You'd be thrilled if that was your team winning that game. But overall, from an outsider's perspective, I'm not sure how much that tells us about how good they are. I'm with you on Seton Hall, though. I think Seton Hall, out of that second tier, the UConn-Xavier-Seton Hall tier, I think Seton Hall would worry me more than UConn if I'm Xavier. UConn is a much more talented UC they they really defend you. They really play hard, but they just struggle to score on the offensive side. Now, they're not like terrible offensively. They're 28th at yeah. offensive efficiency, obviously, but that is where they, they just don't shoot it very well from the outside. They get their points by being tougher than you, by beating you up on the offensive glass, by scoring in transition and converting their defense to offense. So that's why their offense is fairly efficient despite not being a team that's overly skilled and a team that shoots it well from the outside. And look, we can't do a big East podcast and not talk about the demons down there at the end. They are eight and one, but they haven't beaten anybody really besides Louisville. Uh, uh, excuse me. Do you not look at Friday, November 26th when they took down NKU by nine points? <laughs> that's a great point, Rick. I'm that sorry. I should have slotted They you. were back. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I think I think to the Big East credit, DePaul has moved up six, almost sixty spots in Ken Palm yeah, to start this 100. season. They're, they're a top one hundred team. And uh, look, I, look, I'm not, I'm not gonna say much more. I'm not gonna spend too much time here talking about DePaul. But I think it is worth ten seconds here to say that DePaul has risen almost sixty spots in Ken Palm and look. Not bad and beat Louisville on Friday. Well, here's the great thing about DePaul this year. They're similar to what they've been in the past, which is they've got enough talent to scare you. They're going to win a couple games in the Big East, and the fan bases of those teams are going to be freaking out and losing their minds. But it's highly talented Division One basketball players that are on scholarship, too, and they're going to win some games because of that. The great thing about them this year is they didn't lose some stupid games in the non-conference that is really going to drag down everyone's metrics <laughs> when they beat you this year. They're eight and one. They don't have any bad losses. DePaul is a game where, yeah, they're going to be at the bottom of the conference, but the whole conference played so well before they got into Big East play, say for Georgetown, that everyone's metrics should be in really good shape. And as long as you finish above 500 this year in the conference, you should be looking at an NCAA tournament bid. And Georgetown is the only not top 100 team in Ken Palm in the Big East. Yeah. And, and they're just outside that, at 110. I mean, they're not that far yeah. away, really, despite how bad they are. Yeah. They, they're they five and four. They have the most losses. Nobody else with more than three. Marquette, Butler, uh, Villanova with three losses. But again, Villanova's played a really tough schedule. No undefeated teams left uh, in the Big East. DePaul's one loss was to Loyola Chicago. And I mean, to their credit, it was only by four points. So DePaul showed a little bit there. But Butler and Marquette there uh, right now down there toward the bottom. Marquette at eight and three. But that's who Xavier will open their conference slate with on Saturday. Ken Palm has Xavier by 11 at 81 to 70. Marquette this year, they're coming off a loss. They won't play. They have uh, They don't play a midweek game this week. Maybe it's finals week for Marquette. I'm not sure. But 
They come off a loss against UCLA. They're one and two in their last three games. They lost to Wisconsin, beat Kansas State, lost to UCLA. They also lost to St. Bonaventure. That's their third loss. They kind of got blown out by St. Bonaventure. That was 16 points. Uh, lost to Wisconsin by 13, lost to UCLA by 11 yesterday. So all their losses have been du- by double digits. Their best win, maybe you could say it would be over Illinois, but that was when Illinois was back in the beginning of the air year. That was like right around that UC game, beat Illinois by one. Uh, they beat Kansas State by one. They beat West Virginia by 11. West Virginia is not a bad team this year. But uh, Rick, what can Xavier expect to see at Cintas on Saturday against the Golden Eagles? a super fast style of play and a bunch of three pointers shot. They're not very good inside. They don't rebound. Well, they'll block some shots around the rim. They're okay. Defensively inside, but they're not going to beat you through scoring in the post. They're going to shoot a lot of threes and they're come at you downhill and draw some fouls. And that's really who they are. They fly around on defense. It's shock of smart basketball. You kind of know what to expect. You know what you're getting into there, but basically that's it. You look for them to play super fast and shoot a bunch of threes. And if you're Xavier, you just have to be really good defensively and really disciplined and make sure that this isn't the game where they get hot from three. They have struggled shooting the three pointer, even though they have, you know, three or four guys that are more than capable of, of firing them up there. Yeah. Marquette is the third fastest team by possession length in the country and their tempos fifth in the country. So you're going to see players flying around on Saturday. When you look individually, you know, Daryl Morsell brings a lot of experience, but Morsell, obviously the transfer had a lot of time at Maryland now comes in here to play at Marquette. And he's a guy at Maryland who was the big 10 defensive player of the year. And he's made a difference so far. But outside of Marcel, Justin Lewis, who played last year, but is a freshman still by COVID. But they're a fairly young team. Um, the only two seniors on the team. Is it Kerr, Kerkweth, Kerketh, Kerr? How do Kirk you Yeah, I don't know. Kerkwath. Yeah, uh, it's good enough for he, me. Yeah, he's the only other senior listed on the roster. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's Marquette for you on Saturday. Yeah, Justin Lewis is averaging 15 and eight a game. So. That's kind of the guy to watch there in terms of individuals. But Marquette is uh, somewhere in the middle of the pack in this Big East Conference, and there's a lot of teams that you can say that about. I think from Providence to Butler, really, and that would include Creighton, St. John's, Marquette, all in that mix. Those are kind of the teams right now that you look to 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 sort of decide the middle of the pack of the conference, and that's where you're maybe fifth or sixth, if you can get that far in in terms of NCAA tournament bids, will come from. Well, Rick, for this week, 8.30 on Wednesday night against Moorhead State. Looking forward to that one. We'll we'll see you there. Uh, And then 4 o'clock on Saturday against Marquette. Anything else? Any recruiting news? Any other tidbits, nuggets? Anything Xavier fans should know that we didn't hit on today? Yeah, um, we've been talking about it on the message board. Things are going pretty well with Amari Abram, one of Xavier's top guard recruits in the 2022 class. Things have changed there. If you uh, aren't caught up from what happened during signing week where everyone was kind of waiting on a Desmond Claude commitment, things have moved past that. And we're we're talking about that on the message board right now. And actually for another... about two days, basically on Wednesday, the deal will go off, but you can get an annual VIP subscription to musketeerreport.com for 50% off. And if you are a monthly subscriber currently, you can also upgrade 
your subscription to an annual plan for 50% off and get that deal as well. Yeah, that's the best way to keep up with all the recruiting stuff. I've got some nuggets that will be coming out later this week. I'm still waiting to hear back on a, a couple things from a few different people that I've reached out to. But for the most part, I think everyone understands the deal right now in terms of the guard commits, but Amari Abram, a name that we've been really focused on recently. So be sure to check out the message board for all of that. And if you're not subscribed, Go ahead and do it right now. It is the best time to do it. And I, I know people see my tweets sometimes about the Christmas gift thing and think like I'm joking about that. That it, I started tweeting that because I've been told that by so many people of like, oh yeah, I get my dad didn't know how to use the internet. So I just like signed him up for this and put the <laughs> link on his iPhone. And now he reads it every single day. So it really does make a great Christmas gift for someone. If you've got like a old dad who's rich and doesn't need anything and you can't figure out what to get for him. This is something outside the box that's easy to do for him. And the best part is you get a gift for every year going forward because you can just renew a subscription every year and give that to him <laughs> and say, there you go. That's your Christmas gift. It makes it a really easy way to give gifts. So sign one of your beloved Xavier fans up for musketeerreport.com. 50% off. Oh, Rick. That was uh, another great episode here. Thanks to everybody who made Saturday night so fun. I had, I know I had a ton of fun uh, running into a lot of you around the Cintas Center. It was a lot. Uh, it was a great time. And then uh, we'll see you all again this week. Two more home games for Xavier. Big East play on Saturday. But for Rick, Paul, signing off. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our motto. Zip, zip, zip them up. We got a whole bunch of gangsters, zip them up. Gangsters, zip them up. Bunch of gangsters, zip them up. Gangsters, gangsters, gang, gang, gangsters. Zip them up. That's our motto. Zip them up. And that's what we just did to them. Zip them up. And that's what we just did to them. 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 That's our motto. Zip them up. Zip them up. Zip, 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 zip them up. Zip, 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 zip. We got disrespected. Zip, zip, zip them up. Bunch of gangsters, disrespected, zip them up. We got a whole bunch of zip, 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 zip. That's our motto. We got zip, zip, we got zip, disrespected, we got zip, 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 we got zip. Tougher team, gangsta, zip, gang, 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 gangsta. We got a whole bunch of gang, 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 gangsta. Gangs, zip, gang, zip, gang, 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 gangsta. That's our motto. That's 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 our motto. Zip them up. That's our motto. That's 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 our motto. Motto. That's our motto. That's 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 our motto. Zip them up. That's our motto. That's 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 our motto. Motto. That's our motto. That's 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 our motto. Zip them up. That's our motto. That's 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 our motto.